Good to be here this morning, and uh, thank you for the privilege of speaking at, at this, my home church. I have a couple kind of uh, housekeeping things I'd like to do. First of all, I have a friend with, with us this morning. Pat, if you'd stand up and stand up with that small man beside you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Rob Hilly. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a big old boy. Uh, he was in our church in Weyburn, and he was a little uh, teenager kid. I got to know him through dirt biking and whatever, and he was in our original boys' club in Weyburn. And uh, God has sort of had his hand on Rob's life, lots of twists and turns in his life, but uh, he's, he's a friend to us, and we're glad to have him here this morning. He's, he has a mother uh, in Weyburn and a sister in Regina, and so when he comes down from Edmonton, sometimes we have a chance to visit with him. So good to have you here this morning. Also, I want to just say that uh, we watched, uh, we were home last night, got home in time to watch the uh, winding up of the old Mosaic Stadium. And uh, I, I did, I'm not, Pat is the green person in our house. I'm just a tag along. I'm a Fairweather fan. If they're winning, I like them. If they don't win, I'm not watching them. I could care less. And, uh, but she's, she's got this loyalty and all the green clothes. And, and, uh, but I was doing fine until they were getting down to the end and they were revealing those players under the hoodies that were in. If you, some of you saw the film or the, or the program or some of you may have even been there. And, and George Reed. And when he <laughs> was standing there Kind of the crowd was cheering and waving. I just went to mush because I remember George Reed as a young guy way, way back. I remember Pat's dad, who's uh, deceased, uh, talking with great affection about George Reed. And so it just kind of like... And then the team lost the game, so I just turned it off, you know. <laughs> Warm and fuzzy and emotional, and I thought, oh, for Pete's sake, you know. like, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so that's that. Anyway, I have a little uh, observation here. This is kind of the comedy relief of it all, uh, because where I'm going to talk about in a few minutes is going to be like really scary. So, uh, no, just kidding. But uh, it's about the Canadian geese. They're 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 coming down late, and we're kind of wondering what's going on. Is it climate change? But there are some other suggestions. Uh, some are suggesting that their concerns are due to the political climate south of the border <laughs> and they're actually waiting to November 8th to see what's going to happen before they decide to cross. Uh, they're thinking they may have to cross before a wall is built. So they. <laughs> Others suggest it's due to the currency exchange and they're finding that being a snowburn is no longer affordable, so they're not going down. Uh, uh, the concerns that, and then there, these are maybe the more relevant concerns that there may be uh, emails leaked that will reveal the Canadian geese's flight plans for awaiting American eagles that live south of the border. So that's, uh, that actually originates more with Chuck uh, Sheridan. Some of you know Chuck, he used to be a pastor in Winnipeg, uh, kind of a biker guy and so on. So yeah, yeah, I've had great experiences. Uh, I would just say this, I'm not going to talk that much about it, I just want to say this and then leave it, but uh, seeing churches and pastors right across the country uh, from the hamlets of New Brunswick, which it's absolutely magnificent area, but it's like going back 50 years. Um, they live 
where they've always lived. And as I drove with these different people through the villages, the little villages are sprinkled down these highways that wind and bend through this most beautiful country. The leaves were red and yellow and every color you can imagine. Um, they said, well, that's where my grandpa was born and that's where my uncle lives and this is where my cousin has his business. And they're just, they're just this sense of community and, and connectedness. And I thought, well, you know, the, knowing where your tribe is is not a bad thing because we get so scattered sometimes in our modern culture that we don't know where our roots are. They live in their roots. And, uh, you know, even some of their church music and their... The kids, the songs that they sang for the kids, you know, a happy birthday to you. You know, boy, that's going way back and uh, a lot of stuff like that. But yet there's a wholesomeness to a pastor who has two churches and a radio, two radio stations. Uh, I was actually live on radio in New Brunswick. Um, I, yeah, you didn't think that was that big, but it, you know, it was important and... <laughs> And then all the way out to the West Coast, where the pastor wears like really skinny jeans and has facial hair and shaved on the side and thing piled on the top, and it's like so totally cool. And, uh, but you know, I mean, all across in the incredible variety of this country, God is at work. And people are being saved. There's, there's miraculous things that have happened in people's lives. Uh, marriages have been healed. Um, some churches are just, some churches are struggling a bit and they're having some moments. But for the most part, it's just like it's happening. And, and the variety of church culture, you know, all so different and yet thriving because they've, some of them have really come to understand this is our context, this is how we have to do church. And so they're just, the overall report is one of encouragement and uh, blessing and, and got to spend time, some real quality time with some really outstanding men and women. So, okay, now the topic. If we've got the screen coming alive here, um, I wanna talk to you this morning Morning, Nate. <laughs> Kurt said I could tease him if I want, so it's okay. Anyway, um, we're stuck a bit. Okay, I'll just go ahead and introduce. Um, and I say this title uh, with a bit of tongue in cheek, but not really. Uh, preparing for the apocalypse whilst avoiding conspiracy theories and living with hope. I'll say it again, preparing for the apocalypse whilst avoiding conspiracy theories and living with hope. Um, in the last couple of years, there's been incredible movies, blockbuster kind of movies made about great apocalyptic events. The San Andreas Fault movie where the the whole east-west coast disappeared, massive comets, uh, multiple movies about zombies and the walking dead disease taking over the world and people fighting and everything. And then like World War III, 
uh, massive environmental wastelands created by human stupidity and oh my goodness, and then alien, multiple alien invasions, uh, those great creatures and weaponry coming against us. I see they've got Independence Day 2 now coming out where the aliens are even more fearsome than they were in the first one. Um, so, you know, the, in some people's thinking, it's that kind of apocalyptic thinking. And I, I just, I'm not saying do this, but just for curiosity's sake, I just went on to a bunch of survivalist uh, uh, websites. Have you ever done that? Don't put your hand up if you have, because uh, <laughs> there could be people watching in here that will... Uh, those black helicopters will come and take you. No. Um, yeah, I mean, like, get two guns. Have one that you keep in your house that people know about so when they come to confiscate them, they can get that one and hide one. Uh, get diesel cars, not gas cars, so when you bury barrels of fuel, they won't go bad. You know, <laughs> diesel doesn't go bad and gas will go off. And stockpiling food and how to do it and on and on and on. It's just like... Ooh. I'm not talking about that. And I'm not advocating that. On the other hand, is there, is there a threat? Um, is there a growing threat? Yeah, I think there is. But it may be more about a slow, spiritual, moral poisoning of the human race that will draw us away from a loving God until our behavior so deteriorates that our very existence could be called into question, our continued existence. Um, you know, what we're seeing right now, what's going on right now, in fact, because of what's happening south of the border in political thinking, in the political world, the, the world news has been, for most part, on the, on the U.S. side of the news broadcast, it's just kind of forgotten. But what's happening right now in places like Syria and Iraq and, and different parts of the Middle East and parts of Africa, um, it's become incredibly dangerous for people. And, uh, and Christians, and in pockets of that, it's been pockets of Christians in places that have been completely wiped out. And, uh, you know, so that's the, that's the dramatic side of it, but but the slow erosion of people, of culture, even of us as Christians, is something that may be more, uh, have to pay attention. So I'm going to read the scriptures I have off the screen if I can, if you can throw those up. Let's start with 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 5. Might as well start with 1. Oh, there it is. Okay. Not sure how to read that. Uh, but mark this, there'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Whoa. I'm going to read off here, okay? The reason I went to that is that I, I'd actually put this on in New King James, so bear with me and bear with him. He's, uh, this is not always easy to do. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, 
slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, that's an interesting verse, having a form of godliness, being really religious, but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ. I will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows or the birth pangs of something that's about to be born. I understand Italy had a terrible earthquake again this morning. Matthew 24, verse 16 to 22 the new King James, again, I'm sorry if we're running at odds, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Dropping down to verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. Listen, folks, this attack in Mosul is about to release what some are calling in the media the largest um, one-time singular refugee event that's ever occurred. Now, there's been others that were bigger because they were drawn over time, but when this actual battle breaks out and the city is invaded, there could be a million-plus people suddenly, instantly, refugee status. What Matthew was talking about in verses 16 to 22, he's talking about a refugee situation that's absolutely life-threatening. We are seeing this in the Middle East right now. So some of the things that are happening as people have deteriorated, as the moral, spiritual climate is beginning to go off the rails, is incredible hardship for some people. I'm going to drop down to the book of Revelation, and uh, this is looking deep into the scenario that is really difficult to understand. I have to say that, that the end-time scenarios in Scripture are puzzling and challenging and like, what? Uh, hard to understand if you have no background in sort of studying this. It's, it's completely confusing. For those who've studied it for many years, it's even more confusing. <laughs> it's just like, what? But it, it's talking about a period of judgment, chapter 9, verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their work, of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor walk, and they did not repent from their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So the human race, as it staggers along in its journey, and it isn't, it isn't all bad news out there, uh, that's maybe going to get somebody elected or not elected, but there is bad news out there. And there are challenging times out there. And there's things that we need to be kind of preparing ourselves for. Now, in, the, in sort of the Christian world, there's sort of two in the Christian movement, there's sort of two philosophies about how things are going to come to an end. 
and how the, it'll kind of play out as we move towards the end of days. And so let me just kind of unpack those in, in my sort of simple terms and then we're going to move away from our thinking just about what we've just said and we're going to focus on something uh, I hope far more take-home in it for all of us. The Christian movement, this is one philosophy, the Christian movement will grow in numbers and status, creating a Christian culture that will literally take over the earth and we will hand the prepared earth to Jesus as he returns to take his place as king of a kingdom. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify these things. That's one kind of understanding. This, the other understanding, and there's many, there's just two. The other one is the Christian movement will continue and even grow in a climate of increasingly violent persecution while the natural and physical earth begins to crumble, while human society unravels socially, spiritually, politically, morally under a satanic deception and, and finally, as, and finally and find it, which will be exposed as the king of heaven returns to subdue his enemies and bring peace that the United Nations could never deliver. Now, I have a bias. It obviously shows up even the way I say these things, but, but I wrestle with this because I wrestle with a strong belief in our need to represent and to present the kingdom of God to this earth. And our prayer is, Lord, our, let your will be done uh, as your will is done in heaven. Let it be done on the earth. May your kingdom come to life situations of people in our community. We, we invoke, invite, promote a godly kingdom. Because in the kingdom of God, life makes the most sense. However, sometimes we in the West, we think the whole world is like us. And everything in the whole world is sort of like, we have a paradigm that we understand it all through. That's our context. But listen, for, for many Christian believers, their world experience is nothing like you and I are having even this morning. If they meet, they meet in secret in little pockets. And there's, there's a very strong potential of them being killed or persecuted or beaten or suffering. And, and sometimes we in the West, we get rebuked for not paying attention to the persecuted church, which is all over the earth, except for the pockets of sort of Western cultures that are actually living in the benefit of Christian worldview. Fairness, forgiveness, justice, uh, the things that are the foundations of a country that's going to survive. Um, but we, we, live in a, we live in a wonderful bubble. I'm really glad I live where I live. But it's not like that everywhere on the earth. And some of you have traveled enough, and you, you know that from your travel or from missionary work that you've done. It's not always that easy. So I'm going to give you my main point now at this, at this moment. This is probably a good place to leave a main point. And if you remember anything this morning, please remember this. Some of you might say, I don't want to remember some of this stuff. Well, that's fine. But remember this. 
It comes kind of in the, in the, in the form of a question. What do we need to pay special attention to in our lives and in the lives of those we love to prepare us for the most challenging days we ever face? Now listen, let me just say, we can talk about apocalyptic things and, and challenging persecution type things or wars and violence and that sort of thing. We can talk about that. But we also need to talk about sitting in a doctor's office and getting some pretty sobering news. Am I prepared for the challenges of life? Does my Christian faith stand on enough bedrock that things can slam into me and I not only survive, but I actually thrive in a time of deep, troubling events. Um, I love good days. I love the sunshine, thank you very much. I love summer. <laughs> I survive winter, and you know why it's got to do with two wheels. So, but is my faith deep enough to carry me when difficult times come. Matthew 7, 24, 27 talks about the two houses. One built on rock and one built on sand. Storms hit them both. Same storm, it sounds like. Same intensity of a like a typhoon or a hurricane slams into both houses. Being a Christian does not say that you will never face a storm. There was a Christian theology that went around for a while that says if you're a real child of God, there'll never be a storm in your life. That has proven to be quite false, not only biblically, but in life experience. Storms will come. Difficult things will happen to all of us in a variety of ways. The storm comes, it beats against the house, and the house stands because it stands on the obedience of biblical truth. It's not just that they have a whole bunch of biblical truth, it's applied biblical truth in their life. The other person builds this, probably the same kind of house. When, the other, when that same storm hits them, this one stands and this one falls. And I would just say kind of a rabbit trail from that that is, uh, as men, if I can say this to our men and our, our grandpas and our fathers, um, listen, guys, we're gatekeepers. We're in this Christian thing to be God's warriors. We have a part of our task in life, it's to defend those who can't defend themselves. Children, the most vulnerable, our women, uh, even the very things that are said about women, we have a duty to defend. 
And, and we need to rise up and, and at times stand and say, not on my watch. This will not pass. This will not happen. And, and as men, we, we get confused about our fighting. We think that this is our fighting or this is our fighting or something, that that's how we fight. May I recommend to us that we fight on our knees. But fight we will. Praying for our kids. Praying for grandkids. Praying for our schools. There are things happening with the schools. I'm not going to go into it, but there are things happening in the school world. Uh, there's something that's sort of hot in the news in Alberta, and that is what it is. It isn't everything it sounds like, but there's something kind of troubling there. And we had a story of something here in Saskatchewan that happened in an elementary school. And this I, I heard about firsthand. I'm not going to talk about it. But it, it caught some of the Christian parents were completely caught out because they and it's like you know it's not right it's not wise we need to stand to defend and I want to just say that if I if I can I brag about this church one of the things I'm bragging about you is that you are a church that's rising in prayer more and more things are happening that are built on the whole activity of prayer. I, I try to get out to the men's breakfast when I'm home. I missed last week and I won't be here this week. But um, that's actually even grown. And anytime you can get a bunch of guys out at 6.30 in the morning for prayer, something's going on. But they pray. They pray for you. They pray for the church. They pray for the community. They pray for the government. They pray for people that are sick. People, let, let that rise, and I commend this church, and I commend Pastor Steve, and I go, yay, Hillcrest, you're becoming a greater and greater praying church. Keep going. Because it's needed for us to stand in the midst of difficult days that are before us, either on the big horizon of world events and, and all of that, or just on local issues of health and marriage and finances and job and crops that are still sitting in the field and the, and the challenges to our farming families. Wow. I flew into Edmonton just days ago, and the guy there, the farmer that was sitting with me on the plane, he said, uh, yeah, about 70%, 60%, 70% of our crops still out. And he said, it's not looking real hopeful. What do we do? Well, one thing we can do is to pray. Three closing points. How do we thrive in the worst of days? How do we survive and thrive in the worst of days? Well, number one is real simple. You have to really be a Christian. You have to really be a Christian. Uh, being religious is just not going to cut it. If you don't have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ, if you really aren't, and you will know it in your heart of hearts, we, we tend to know people. You know if you've uh, made that heart-to-heart -heart connection with God, and if you're honest with yourself, you'll know if you haven't. If you're going to survive in the toughest of days, i got to tell you, whether it's the the storm clouds on the horizon of human history or things right in your world where you live, 
it is imperative that you begin this journey, this relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say this morning, if you're here and you, you would say, there is a question mark in my mind whether or not I have really crossed that threshold. Uh, I want to encourage you, even as I'm talking, just to say, Jesus, right now, I want you to come into my life and, and be the Lord and master of my life and destiny. I give control of myself to you. I'm sorry for the stuff I've done. I believe that your death on the cross, we sang it this morning, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. It was his sacrifice that makes it possible for goofy people like me and you to find life and hope because he paid for my sin. He took it all, everything I've ever done. And listen, that continues right to my point of death. He's paid for all my sin, not just for some, all. I cannot face the worst of times if I've not settled that issue because where else will you go if that isn't real in your life? If you're a Christian believer in Iraq and ISIS comes to your door with blood in their eyes and they put you against the wall and they say, are you a follower of Christ? And that's really what they're asking. Are you a follower of the Nazarene? Are you a person of the cross? And if you answer yes, death or worse awaits you. What would you say? Is, is our faith real enough to stand? And if a doctor says to you, you may only have months left to live. And we've not heard that. I'm not tying it in any recent circumstance. That's not what's been said. So don't, don't misunderstand that. But if, if you get that kind of news that says, listen, you, you've got months at best. Is that settled? Is that big issue of death, is it, is it settled? We need to make sure it is. The gospel is alive and has impact. Do you know the gospel? Have you made the commitment? And listen, no matter whether it's this situation or this situation, he's resurrected and his resurrection gives me hope for the future. Number two, are you really, really anchored? Have you got your ship tied up to the real anchor? What do you hang on to when the storms blow? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 to 20, and then there's verse, verse 19, and I'll just refer to that. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. We have this hope as an anchor. Listen, what's your anchor? What's, what's the thing you hang on to? Is it the world that you've constructed around yourself? Is it in a human friendship or relationship? Is that your ultimate anchor? Is it the fact that right now you're healthy and you have lots of money? Is that your anchor? Or is he the actual anchor? We have one anchor. And now I'm going to sing for you. <laughs> Right there? No. Okay. But is that, have you got the words of that song there? No? 
<laughs> Some of you better jump right in, okay, really quick. Uh, I, don't, I can't sing. I just can't, I get all nervous when I think about it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Interesting, the songwriter kind of talks about salvation. Then he changes to the second verse. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. The thing with Jesus is so powerful, it's enough to deal with the eternal issues of my soul, and it's enough to deal with the worst storms in life. He is my anchor. <clears throat> I get so hoarse, I, I would try to sing. Somebody sing it. On Christ the song, all other ground is sinking sand. The ground is sinking sand. And that's not to have a flashback from the past. It's a simple truth. It's just a simple truth. The solid rock, the anchor that holds firm in the storms of life is Jesus. And lastly, my final point, if the worship team wants to make their way back, I'm going to conclude. Um, and this, this has been big on my personal plate lately. It's become more and more real to me as the years have gone by. I have an ongoing prayer that I want to end well. I don't want to deteriorate at the end and become grumpy and miserable and flawed and horrible. I don't want to we say it isn't working yet, Dave. Well, I know, but I... I'm, If those storm clouds that I speak of are real in any way, shape, or form, it is going to be absolutely imperative for you and I as followers of Christ that we live completely pure. That we aim for perfection in purity. I doubt that we're going to achieve perfection. In fact, I'm fairly certain that we won't. But we need to pursue that. I actually, in my journal my prayer journal, I, I mark the days. I'm actually counting the days, and my, my goal is to go 365 days with areas that I struggle with, uh, uh, that I've got it dealt with and under the authority of Christ, and I'm not falling in those areas. I'm trying to pile on the days. My target, if I can get to 365, I, I can maybe get the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? I can just, if I can get through this, and so far, I've got the highest I've got before I had to kind of reset the counter was 47. Well, I can't say it was 47 days of perfection. But 47 days where those areas that, that deteriorate me, that uh, degrade my spiritual life, they are a non-issue. How pure are you? How clean is the inside of your heart? where no one can see. Are you living clean? If I say I never sin, the Bible says I'm a liar. But if, I, but if I pursue being clean and walk honestly with God in open confession and don't misrepresent myself to others, 
Purity is not that far away. It's often more about honesty than perfection. You know what I'm saying? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Will you stand with me? I'd like to pray with you, and then we will turn it to the worship team.